It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. Hey, Fidelity. How can I remember to invest every month? With the Fidelity app, you can choose a schedule and set up recurring investments in stocks and ETFs. Oh, that sounds easier than I thought. You got this. Yeah, I do. Now, where did I put my keys? You will find them where you left them. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE SIPC. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. In 1985, 29-year-old Anthony Ray Hinton was arrested and charged with the brutal murders of two fast food restaurant workers in Birmingham, Alabama. Despite no eyewitnesses, no evidence against him, and a solid alibi, Anthony Hinton was tried by a white prosecutor, a white judge, and an all-white jury, found guilty and sentenced to death. For 30 years, Anthony Hinton suffered in isolation and darkness on death row. During that time, he was forced to bear witness as 54 men and one woman walk right by his cell down the long hallway to their execution. But not even death row could dim the light inside Anthony Ray Hinton. For nearly three decades, he found a way to hang on to hope, stay positive, and even inspire his fellow inmates and the prison guards. And then one fateful day, Anthony Hinton met criminal defense attorney Brian Stevenson. Stevenson and the Equal Justice Initiative spent 16 years working on Mr. Hinton's case. Finally, in 2014, the United States Supreme Court unanimously overturned Anthony Ray Hinton's conviction. On a spring morning in Alabama, after 30 years on death row, Anthony Hinton walked out of the Jefferson County Jail a free man. Now, his moving, awe-inspiring memoir, The Sun Does Shine, is my latest book club selection. It is a powerful lesson on faith, forgiveness, and redemption that I believe will not only inspire, but also will wake a lot of people up to unjust circumstances that are happening every day in our country. So welcome to our podcast here. Well, thank you for having me. I bet there was a time where you never thought you would be sitting here in my office or even seeing the sunshine the way it is out here on this beautiful California day. No, I really didn't. Uh, when you've been convicted of capital murder, especially in the South, mm-hmm. uh, and you don't have the money to afford an attorney, yeah, it's just in your mind, just a matter of time. Just a matter of time. Just a matter of time. Yes, ma'am. So you spent, I want to just tell our, our audience here, I've been listening to people's stories for most of my career since I was 19 years old, and this is one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard. You spent nearly 30 years on death row for crimes you did not commit. It's, it's really just 
You know, when I was reading your story, I was trying to picture myself holding on to hope, holding mm. on, keeping the faith. I don't know if I could have done it. Mm. I just don't know if I could have done it. But you survived, and it's really an incredible story of faith and resilience and triumph. I, I, I thought about Viktor Frankl, actually, mm. in his book that he wrote when he was in the camps in, in Germany, mm -hmm. in Auschwitz, called Man's Search for Meaning. And I mm. think you found a lot of meaning in those years. I did. The first three years, I went into this dark hole. Mm -hmm. And not realizing at the time, but the dark hole is what saved me. Saved you. I just want to tell people who aren't familiar with The Sun Does Shine, I hope you will get the book and read it. It's the reason why I've chosen it is this uh, summer's book club selection, because I just think every person should read it. One of the reviews said, in his intense memoir, Anthony Ray Hinton recounts his three-decade nightmare awaiting execution for crimes he didn't commit. Mr. Hinton here provides a convincing description of continued segregation and injustice in the Deep South that cages the underclass as effectively as prison walls. His depictions of prison life are wrenching. After 30 years, his dogged pursuit of justice led civil rights attorney Brian Stevenson to adopt his cause. Mr. Hinton was freed from prison in 2015 and now works as a motivational speaker. His life is one of inspiration, which he wonderfully relays here in bitingly honest prose. It's a masterful, uh, moving read. So congratulations on, Thank you so on, much. on getting Thank this you. book done. And I, I love that you call it The Sun Does Shine. Yes, ma'am. Because those were your words when you came outside for the first time after being held behind bars for 30 years. Yes, ma'am. And everybody was expecting you to say something. Yes. You said, uh, The Sun Does Shine. I never will forget that morning exactly the judge had ordered me to be released at 9.30. And I had told Mr. Stevenson to bring me a suit. And he brought me the suit, we changed, and I kept looking at the watch. And finally at 9.30 they ushered us through the door. And it seemed as though the sun was shining on no one but me. Mm. And I looked over at Mr. Stevenson to see what's the sun shining on him as well, and I couldn't see it. And then. As I walked a little further, it was just as though the sun was following me. And I got up to the podium and I said, the sun does shine. Because I had been in pure hell and darkness for all those years. And I don't think I can even put in that book or tell you today what it's like to be on death row yeah. for something that you know you didn't do. Yeah. And to put up with everything you have to put up with. Well, you know, in every story, uh, I think people try to imagine themselves in that story or imagine themselves, you know, what would you do or have done. And mm -hmm. I remember years ago, I was on trial in 1998 for saying something bad about a burger. No. And I, got, I was on trial for six weeks in Texas. And I remember no. thinking every day, what if the sentencing here <laughs> was not just money or a fine, I was found not guilty by the oh, way, <laughs> but what if the sentencing was that I had, would have to go to jail for something that I knew I didn't do? Mm. And I thought about, for the first time in a real way, all the people who were in jail for things they didn't do yes. and how horrible mm. that must be. I mean, just how it just would eat you up inside to know that justice was not served and now you're behind bars for it. So I want you to take us back, actually, to the day you were mowing your mother's lawn, 
and you're out there cutting the grass for your mom because you were living at home with your mom. You yes. were, what, 29 years yes. old at the time? Yes, And um, would you say you're a mama's boy? Because you sure did I, love your mama. I, oh, I, I, I am, and uh, I still love her. And although she's not here, she will always be in here. Yeah, in your and, heart. Oh, yes. Uh, there's not a day that go by, not a night that I don't take her photo and kiss and say goodnight, Mom. Um, uh, you, one would have to understand where I come from. Uh, my father didn't abandon us. He lost his mind. And so my mom had to be my father and mother. So your father became was mentally ill? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. And so I cannot sit here and look you in the eye and tell you that I missed anything other than having a father. My mother was tougher than any man could ever be. Mm. And so I was somewhat afraid of her. And my mother was the type, if she said, I'm going to the store, and I mean for you to count your finger until I get back. You better be counting when she pulled back up. <laughs> and so, uh, but uh, it was a hot day in July. And I went inside to get some lemonade, and my mom asked me, was I going to revive? And I said, yes, ma'am. And so I got this lemonade, went on back outside and drunk it, brought the glass back, and my mother was there again. And she said, what time revival start? And I said, 7 o'clock, mama. And she said, well, you got time to go out and cut that grass. And I tried to give her that baby look, but it wasn't working today for some reason. <laughs> and I said, Mom, I promise you tomorrow I'll cut that grass. And my mom looked at me and she said, I'm trying my best to see how that you get you'll cut the grass tomorrow out of me telling you to go cut the grass. And she looked at me, boy, you better get out there and cut that grass. And out the door I go. And about 20, 25 minutes into cutting the grass, I happened to look up and there stood two white gentlemen that I didn't know. I cut the lawnmower off and I said, can I help you? And one of them replied, I'm looking for Anthony Ray Hinton. I said, that would be me again, how can I help you? Then they identified themselves as two detectives. And I said, okay, how can I help you? They said, we have a warrant for your arrest. And I said, for what? And they said, we'll tell you that later, but right now we want you to put your hands behind your back. I complied, put my hands behind my back. They put the handcuff on me. Proceeded to put me in the squad car, but I, I said, at least allow me the opportunity to go in and tell my mother I'm being arrested for something. And one of the detectives said, no, we're not going to let you go back in. You can't go back in. And we argued for about two minutes, and finally the other detective said, let him go in and tell his mother. And I goes in, and I just shows my mother the handcuff. And like any good mother, she began to scream and holler, what are those handcuffs doing on my baby? And... One of the detectives said, take him out while I stand here and talk to his mother. A few minutes later, he comes out. We go proceeded to go to jail. And I asked the detective at least 50 times, why am I being arrested? They would not respond, would not say a word. And as they drove the father, they asked him again. I said, detective, why am I being arrested? And he finally turned around, the one that wasn't driving, and he said, you want to know why you've been arrested? I said, yes. He said, we're charging you with first-degree robbery, first-degree kidnap, first-degree attempted murder. I said, oh, I ain't done none of that. And he kind of yelled at me. Let me tell you something right now. I don't care whether you did it or didn't do it, but I'm going to make sure you found guilty of it. I said, for a crime I didn't commit? He said, you must have a hearing problem. Didn't I tell you I don't care whether you did it or didn't do it? He said, but you remember this if you remember nothing else. I'm going to make sure you found guilty of it. 
And as we drove a little farther down the road, if that wasn't, I guess, insult enough, he turned around and he said, by the way, there's five things that are going to convict you. Would you like to know what they are? I said, yes. He said, number one, you're black. Number two, a white man is going to say you shot him. Whether you shot him or not, he said, believe me, I do not care. He said, number three, you're going to have a white prosecutor. Number four, you're going to have a white judge. And number five, more than likely, you're going to have an all-white jury. He said, do you know what that spell? And he repeated the word conviction, 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 conviction. And we got to the police station. They put me in this holding cell for about two and a half hours. And finally he came in and I said, Detective, if you don't mind, will you tell me what date and what time this crime took place? And he goes through his folder and he look and he tell me the date and the time. And I said, thank you, Jesus. I said, I was at work at that particular date and that particular time. And I said, thank you, God. I said, my supervisor happened to be white. Here's his phone number, here's the address, and they takes off. They stay gone for about four and a half hours and they come back. Because you thought, my supervisor is going to clear all yes. of this up. Yes, You got the wrong man. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they goes out there and he comes back and he said, well, I got good news and bad news. He said, the good news is we're no longer going to charge you first degree robbery, first degree kidnap, first degree attempted murder. Your alibi takes, checks out. You was at work. He said, but now the bad news. The bad news is we, I don't know who we is, but we have decided that we're going to charge you with two counts of first degree capital murder. I said, but I haven't killed anyone. He said, do you remember when I told you coming over here? I don't care whether you did it or didn't do it. He said, that whole fact for these new charges, I don't care whether you did it or didn't do it, but you remember this. I'm going to make sure you found guilty of it. This is the police officer. This is the police officer. Wow. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet, which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. Were, were, you, were you terrified? Did you realize the magnitude of the severity of what had just happened to you? Did you? I, I didn't because, you know. Ms. Or are you still in, in, you're just still in disbelief? I'm in disbelief because yeah. as I talked to the detective, the detective said something profound to me that 
he looked at me and he said, let me tell you something. He said, I really believe you didn't do it. He said, but since y'all is always taken up from one another. Y'all. Y'all, he used that word. He said, take this for your homeboy. And with tears down my eyes, I said, detective, I don't have a homeboy in this world that I would take a rap like this for. Hmm. And I always been brought up, Ms. Winford, to believe that the, that the police wanted to get the right person. Yeah. But this day, for some reason, they just wanted a, a body. Because your mother raised you to, she's one of those strong oh. black women, southern women. Yes. Believes in authority. Yes. Believed if you worked hard, showed up things would turn out all right for you. Just tell yes. the truth, tell the truth, and everything will turn out all right. Yes. Go to the police, the police will help you, is yes. what she believed, yes. that the police were the people to help you. Yes. And they kept you, right? You yes. never, based on what I read in the book, you never went back home. No. So well, they held you for a year and a half, 14 yes. months. Yes. 14 months before you even went to trial. Absolutely. And the trial was just a fiasco. It was. Because they had already decided. Yes. From the day the judge stood up and read the charges and asked me could I afford an attorney, and I told him no. And he pointed me on an attorney, and the attorney come up and didn't even ask me my name. He just said, I didn't go to law school to do pro bono work. And I looked at the attorney and I said, would it make a difference to you? if I told you I was innocent. This is the guy who was assigned to defend you? Yes. And he looked at me and he said, you know, the problem with that statement is all of y'all is always doing something and then saying you didn't do it. There goes y'all again. Yeah, there, hey. yeah. And I go and I sit in jail and I go to trial. I need a ballistic expert. He goes out and he get a silver engineer that was blinded in one eye. And I said to myself... So I, I, let me interrupt you here. Mm -hmm. So they go back to your mother's house and they get a gun. Yes. That's a 38 caliber pistol. Yes. That hasn't been fired in 25 years. Yes. And literally dust off that gun. Yes. And claim that, that the bullets they found match the bullets in your mother's gun. gun yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. And wasn't there somebody who, who had said, but that gun hadn't been fired? In uh, the detective told, asked my mother, uh, my neighbor was there, and she said, he asked your mama, why don't you clean this gun? Ain't nothing on this gun but dust. And she told him, she said, this gun hasn't been used in over 25 years. And they get it to the police station, clean it up, and lie. And just lied. It, it, that's, I, I don't know no other word to tell you. Yeah. They lied. Yeah. They really, they actually lied. And so I want people to actually get the book. I hope you do. It reads like a novel, but when you recognize that every word of it's true, it's so startling. I want you to take us to the courtroom after a year and a half has passed and you're sitting in the courtroom and after the ballistics expert who turns out to be blind in one eye and incompetent that your lawyer had hired messes up so terribly on the witness stand, you knew then that you were going to be sentenced. Absolutely. The, the prosecution crucified him. And when he asked him, did he know how to turn on the machine, he said, no, I had to ask for help. He said, and once they 
helped you, what did you see? He said, I didn't see anything but my fingers. He said, you never seen the bullets? He said, no, I finally seen them later on, but I seen just my Where fingers. did they get this, this, this guy who sounded like a buffoon? Uh, off the street, I believe. But then they asked him, said, you nothing no more than a trust. You come up here, and then you go to the ballistic with a pair of pliers. Oh, so he was just a charlatan, yes, right? Yes, he was just a yes, charlatan. Yes, yeah. And I, you know, I never heard of it, but it, back in the Western days, they used yeah. to get up there and say whatever for 25 or $50. So yeah. that's what your lawyer had found yes. somebody to do yes. that. Oh. And he asked him, the DA asked him, said, how much are you getting paid? He said, well, I might get $50, I may get $100, I don't know. I may not even get anything. I just come did the lawyer a favor. And oh. Ms. Winfrey then, I swallowed. You knew it. You knew. I said, they're going to find me guilty. Because my case revolved around nothing but ballistics. Either they match or they don't match. No eyewitness, no fingerprint, no nothing. Just the state of Alabama was saying they so match. So they have this, this fake guy who gets up that they paid whatever, uh, the charlatan. Yes. They even called him a charlatan. Yes. They called him a charlatan. Yes. Yeah. The prosecution yes. called him a charlatan. And, and, and what gets me is how the judge, my lawyer, the prosecutor, was standing there and argued that this man was one of the best there is. Mm. It, the judge qualified him as dean because he get magazines and he know uh, more than the average human being. Well, I have to say, you know, Brian Stevenson, uh, who wrote Just Mercy, writes about your story. It's one of the first stories in his book. And Brian Stevenson, who's dedicated his life to trying to bring justice to people who have been unfairly convicted and left to die, yes. is how I actually came to hear oh. your story. I was mm. visiting, doing a story on the lynching museum mm -hmm. down there. And I saw your book on oh, his desk. Thank God. <laughs> saw your book on his desk. So, can you take us to the day you heard that the jury comes back in and they say guilty. Can you take us to that moment? Well, when they said guilty, I really lost sight for a few seconds. Mm -hmm. My niece was behind me and I turned back to say something to her and I didn't recognize who she was. And when they said guilty, I was just totally in shock. I wanted to know what did they find me guilty on. And to me, it wasn't nothing but a high-class lynching. And I often tell people, two white men came and arrested me. Three white men prosecuted me. A white judge sentenced me. And a white jury found me guilty. Nothing but a, a lynching. And everything that I ever believed in, Take your time. Everything that I believed in and was taught as a child left me. I just somehow wanted to protect my mom. I didn't quite know whether she understood that I had been found guilty of capital murder and what that meant. Because in Alabama, you can be found guilty and they have what they call a sentencing date later, about a week or two weeks later. And I didn't know that she fully understand that 
uh, more than likely this prosecutor was seeking the death penalty. And I kept saying, I need somehow to protect my mother. I kept asking Lester to somehow shield her from Lester, your best friend, who we'll talk about later. Yes. Well, I think I have the best friend in the yeah, world. No. <laughs> until I read about your best friend. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I have to say, there was something you said around page 65 about how could I be the same? I wondered who would I be when this was all over. Everything good was being taken away, one yes. small chunk at a time. Mm -hmm. Belief, family, truth, faith, justice. I wondered who I would be when mm -hmm. this was all over. How could I be the same person? Would there be anything left after this trial? And what if they actually found me guilty? What then? Nobody believed me, and some days it felt like the whole world, except for Lester and my mom, was conspiring against me. Yes. You know, I had, I had taken a polygraph test in past, and... And the polygraph test was not admitted. Not admissible. And I'm saying... And the, and the man who gave the polygraph test said, this guy is innocent, yes. this guy. FBI, a, a retired FBI agent. I never forget the lieutenant asked him, how did he do? He said, if I could go by this polygraph test... I would take him out of this jail tonight. And she said, he just don't act like a killer. And she said, I've been here for 28 years. She said, he mind his own business and everything. So after trying to prove my innocence, I begged for truth serum. I begged for hypnosis. I begged for anything that they was willing to give me to prove my innocence. And when I passed the polygraph test and the prosecution reneged on his words saying we could use it if if I pass and if I fail it, he could use it. It just sucked every ounce energy, every ounce of belief, everything out of me. Mm. If you've been taught that justice prevailed and the truth will come to light, I didn't see being convicted. I thought it would meant then in the courtroom. I didn't know that I was going to spend 30 years later before the truth come out. I, I didn't it's have... unbelievable. Energy. It's unfathomable. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi, it's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Are you ready to unlock your inner greatness? If so, make sure to listen to my podcast, The School of Greatness, hosted by me, Lewis Howes. Join me as I sit down with world-class performers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders to uncover their secrets to success with new episodes every single week. Whether you're striving for personal growth, business mastery, or simply seeking inspiration, The School of Greatness has something for you. And you can find it on SiriusXM, Pandora, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe and follow to the show so you never miss an episode and start your journey to greatness today. And so there were some dark nights of the soul. You went immediately onto death row. Yes. And you you stopped speaking, literally. Uh, three you, years. You did not speak. Did not speak. Every time an officer would say, what is your name? What is your social security number? What is this? I just wrote it down and gave it to him. And uh, for three years, they thought I couldn't talk. It was as though God had taken my vocal cord, and I couldn't talk. Ms. Winfrey, when I tell you, I didn't even realize that 
I could have so much anger inside of me mm -hmm. because of what had been taken from me. Yeah. And I went in this hell hole and, and I just knew. You had dreams for many nights killing uh, McGregor? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Was he the prosecutor or yes, he the judge? He was, he was a judge. He was, he was the prosecutor. prosecutor. Yeah. And he was so racist. He wrote a book and he had the idea that Hitler was right. He think the world should be permanently white. And all I wanted to do, I didn't want to come back and escape to be on the run. I wanted to choke the life out of him. Mm -hmm. And I wanted my face to be the last face that he saw. And so you were consumed with that oh, rage and anger for yes, a long time. Yes, ma'am. Mm -hmm. And once I seen that I couldn't escape four years later, I heard a grown man laugh for the first time. And that's who I've always been. I think laughter is good for the soul. Mm -hmm. And when I heard that laughter, it, it brought But it wasn't the, wasn't the laughing at first. So three years where literally you go outside. I, I, I've been on death row and yeah. I've, I've seen. I mean, it's when you think five <sighs> by seven cell and even when you go outside, you're going outside in a yes. cage. Yes. Yeah. And I could lay in my bed and touch the further wall, which my arm is long, but five by seven is not big at all. Yeah. And when you got the bed mounted to the wall and the toilet mounted to the wall, you have no room to do anything. And that's what I lived in for 30 years. And it's pure solitary confinement. You this can't even see the other guys on the row, no. so you don't have other human no. touch and you don't. No. Yeah. So for three years you went into that. What did you tell yourself? And I, you know what, Mr. Hinton, I, I, I was trying to figure out what does time become? Mm. Do you, are you counting the days? Is there, is there like calendar time in your head? Do Tuesdays or Wednesdays or Thursdays or Fridays matter? No. If it's May or if it's December, does it matter? No, time is nothing like it once were. In fact, time don't even exist. Mm -hmm. uh, because you're in a place where when they time is at an end, they gonna come get you. And they're going to scrap you down in the chair or yeah. the gun. And as it turns out, your cell was just 30 feet yes. from the death chamber yes. where men would have to take the walk down your hallway yes. with, what, eight other cells? Eight. Eight other cells, yes. top and bottom, and walk to the death chamber. And when they were killed, you could smell yeah. their flesh burning. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, and in your time there, you witnessed... 54. 54. Men and, and one, one woman, woman being executed. Executed. And I, of all the 54, I asked the guard, I said, Officer, is there anything you can give me so I won't have to smell their the flesh burning? Flesh burning. And that officer looked at me. And he said, no, there's nothing I can give you. And if there's a consolation to it, he said, you'll get used to it. And one day, somebody will smell your flesh burning. And it was at that moment, that very moment, that I escaped up here. I had to. And I often tell people, I can't understand why 
about loving men took their own life. If you can't escape up here. In your head. It's, it's, it's over. Yeah, you can't survive. No. Yeah. If you're no. just dealing with that every yes. day, the reality of being in this five by seven yes. cell. So what broke it for you? Uh, it was someone crying in the night at it first. Was a was man it not? had lost his mother. Yeah. And he I, was wailing, yes, wailing, oh, yes. wailing, wailing. And this is a man that I had lived by for three years and never asked him his name, where he was from, or anything. I wasn't there to, to, to really to get to know anybody. I wasn't there to make friends. All I knew, I was there for something I didn't do. And when I heard this man crying, at an early age, my mom had taught me compassion. Mm -hmm. She said, no matter what one does in life, they still deserve compassion. And it was that compassion that I hollered through this brick wall and I got up to the front of the door and I yelled out with my voice. And I said, hey, is something wrong over there? Took him a while to reply. And he finally said, I just got worried my mother passed. And I told him that I was sorry to hear that other men was listening. They holler, hey, I'm sorry as well. And I told him a corny joke, and we kind of laughed just a little bit to try to break it. And I laid back down, and the next morning, I realized my voice was back as well as my sense of humor. And I ain't looked back since. Mm. I used this up here to go wherever I wanted to go and uh, made as many people I could laugh. And you say, in The Sun Does Shine, you say, I wondered why it is that the cries of another human being, whether it's a baby or a woman in grief or a man in pain, can touch us in ways we don't expect. I wasn't expecting to have my heart break that night. I wasn't expecting to end three years of silence. It was a revelation to realize that I wasn't the only man on death row. Yes. I was born with the same gift from God we are all born with, the impulse to reach out and lessen the suffering of another human being. Mm -hmm. It was a gift and we each had a choice whether to use this gift or not. What I knew, when you're hanging at the end of your rope, does it really matter what color the hand is that reaches up to help you? What I knew was that he loved his mother just like yes. I love my mother and I could understand his Absolutely. pain. Absolutely. Yeah. And the fact that mine was still alive, alive. made me appreciate her more and made me understand his loss even more. And so somebody laughed. You told a joke. Yes. Somebody laughed. You heard that laughter and something about that laugh, it's laughter. It's clicked. And I've cracked all, you open, oh, yeah. yes. I've always been one that I love humor. I, I think that, as I said before, laughter is good for the soul. And I just try to make humor out of everything. Yeah. Even the worst of the worst, I try to find some humor in it. So you had this... Uh, First of all, I think one of the things that saved you was your vivid imagination. Yes. Because when that officer said that to you about one day they will be smelling your own flesh, you learned then to go away in your own imagination. Yes. And you went to lots of places oh. to see the Queen of England yes. oh, in your yes. head. Uh, yes. I, and I often tell people, please don't ask me why. A 29-year-old black male want to go see Queen Elizabeth, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> But at the end of the day, I realized something. She was in jail just as I was. Ah. She was in a 758-room jail. Jail. And you were in a 5 by and 7 I was in a 5 by 7 so we had something in common. 
And I just wanted to escape and see how she was doing. That is so, okay, and, I won't and, say crazy, well, but that well, sounds crazy <laughs> to me. Well, well, here's the thing. When people ask me, I said, think about it. I've had the privilege to walk down England and enjoy the sights, the building, everything England have to offer. She can't enjoy it the way I enjoy it. Because since go, you've been out, yes, you've been I can't there. go in stores. I can go in stores and shop. They have to shut the stores down. But you went in your imagination But in my imagination, first. You went I went in to your... see her and because she was in prison just as I was in prison. Yeah. And I wanted to give her some type of consolation that it's okay. You're okay. You're yeah. going to be okay. And once I visited her and, and I realized that I could travel in my mind and there was nothing the warden or anyone in the state of Alabama could do about it, I just kept traveling. Yes. And I traveled and I ended up, you know, as to reading the book, I married a Halle Berry in my mind for 15 years. And what I, I You were I, married to Halle Berry? Yes, for 15 long, beautiful years. <laughs> <laughs> Halle Berry was one of the old special wife. If there's a, a thing that's perfect, I, she didn't say nothing but yes, dear, and okay, dear. And I said, well, I love the fact that she didn't spend any money. <laughs> and so what I did was, I didn't ever use my mind for garbage. In the 15 years that I was married to Halle Berry, not one time did I think of her as sexual or any way. I used her to cope through some lonely days. Oh. And that's just sitting there talking to her. And I had seen a few of her movies and, and I knew when she was married to David Justin for the Yankees and the Yankees have always been my favorite team. And I just sit there and she had been through some rough times. And when I married her, 15 years was the best 15 years of her life, as well as mine. And so I just used my mind, kept using my mind. And then you let her go for Sandra Bullock. I did. When I seen, <laughs> when I seen Sandra Bullock driving this bus, I'm thinking in my mind. If that was this on woman, speed, right? On that was speed, speed, yes. Yeah. If this woman can drive a bus like this, imagine what she could do with a real getaway car. Yeah. And I'm not thinking this is where I'm going to be the rest of my life. Now I'm back, I'm thinking about getting out of here. And I'm thinking if I have to get out of here, somehow escape, Sandy Bullock could drive the getaway car. I hate These to are the games you play with yourself in, my, yes, in your mind yes, to get through the days. Oh, yes. To get through the days. Because obviously if you saw her in Speed, there's TV on Death well, Row. Now it was, but they had showed us the movie when I first seen her, uh, Speed. Yeah. And uh, then after that, they started allowing us to uh, purchase a TV. Uh-huh. And but in the first years, did you have a TV? Did no, you have a, no, nothing? nothing. You're just it, in a room all day long all with day, nothing. With nothing but a, a Bible. A Bible. And when I got there, I took that Bible and threw it up on the bed. Yeah. You didn't touch the Bible for three years. Three years. Yeah. Our conversation will continue in the next episode. You can listen by downloading part two. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening.